of an anchor that keeps the soul. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. I don't know if you have ever been plagued with guilt in your life. I do know this. There are a lot of people in and out of the church that experience guilt. Their lives are guilt-ridden. Now we understand that guilt can be a result of something we have done or quite possibly something we have not done. When you look at what the Bible has to say about guilt, the bottom line is this, it's deadly. It can destroy you. It has destroyed many people. What I want us to do is look at what I believe to be a classic example of some young men whose lives were plagued by guilt. The folks I'm talking about were the brothers of Joseph. I want us to begin today by first of all talking about how they acknowledged their guilt. In order for us to appreciate their acknowledgement of guilt, we have to first of all go back and look at their deeds. What was it that brought them to acknowledge their guilt? If you go back to chapter 37 in the book of Genesis, the Bible talks about a young man by the name of Joseph. At the age of 17, Joseph was shamefully mistreated by his brothers. Now, Moses, in recording the events that transpired in the life of Joseph, tells us in a very frank and forthright way that his brothers detested him. You see, Joseph was the favored son of his father. His father had given him a coat of many colors. The Bible talks about the dreams that Joseph had in his lifetime at a very young age. And in relaying these dreams to his family members, the Bible says they didn't appreciate them. Because in these dreams, they were depicted as bowing down and reverencing or respecting him. So Moses tells us they hated him. They could not speak peaceably with him. The bottom line, they just didn't like him. And so, Moses tells us that on one occasion, Joseph's father sent him to check on the state of his brothers. When they saw him, they said, here comes this dreamer. Their intent was to kill him. But they didn't kill him. But they did devise a plan to take care of him. 
what they did was rather than kill him, they threw him into a pit. And Moses said there was no water in that pit. And then a band of Ishmaelites and Midianites came along. So they decided, here's what we'll do. We'll sell him. And that's exactly what they did. They sold him into the hands of the Ishmaelites and Midianites, and he ended up down in Egypt. So here's a dilemma. When the brothers return home, what are they going to tell their father? What are they going to tell their daddy? After all, this is his favorite son. So what they did, they took a kid among the goats and killed it. And then took that coat of many colors and dipped it in the blood. And they came home. And the bottom line is they were deceitful to their daddy. When he saw that coat of many colors, his reaction is he has been devoured or killed by a wild beast. And the Bible says... But he said in the presence of his family members, I will go down to my grave in mourning. They broke the heart of their daddy. They knew his state, but they didn't say a word. Because you see, they knew what they had done was wrong. So, years transpire, 20 years to be exact, by this time, Joseph has become a very prominent figure in the history of Egypt. The Bible says that he rose to the rank of second in command. He had interpreted a dream of Pharaoh. In that dream, he said there are going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Back in chapter 41... The Bible tells us that Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The seven years of plenty, they pass. And now the seven years of famine are beginning. So 20 years have transpired. In chapter 42, the Bible says that when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob being the father of Joseph and his brothers. He said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So that's exactly what they did. Now you well know that Benjamin didn't make the trip because of Joseph and the fact that he was gone and his father didn't want something happening to him. When they got down to Egypt and stood before Joseph, because you see, Joseph was the administrator, he recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. And so the Bible says that he spoke roughly to them, according to verse 7. He accused them of being spies. And then down in verse 20, he said, bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified. Now I want you to listen, if you would, 
to what is said in verse 21. Here we have 20 years later the acknowledgement of their guilt. We are truly guilty concerning our brother. Now, Moses says they said this to one another. They are in the presence of Joseph. They have mistreated him. He has been separated from his family, from his friends for 20 long years. And now he gets to hear them say, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. They acknowledged their guilt. But I want you to think about in the second place the agony of their guilt. I said a moment ago that guilt can be deadly. It can be destructive. Now I understand that there is a positive sense in which guilt can be good. If we know that we ought to do something and well, if we know we ought to do something or not do it, and if, if we do something we know we shouldn't do and we're guilty for that, well, and it makes us do what's right, then that's a good thing. But these guys are guilty. And so, look at what the text says. We are truly guilty concerning our brother. Now note, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Now let me just pause there for a minute. Think for a minute about the baggage of guilt. These guys have been carrying this thing around for 20 long years. Every single day. They have carried within their hearts, what they did to their brother. I wonder how many days, how many nights they thought about their brother. Wonder how he's doing. Wonder how he's faring. Is he alive? Is he dead? What's his status? Is he still a slave? The bottom line, they did not know. You know, sometimes we have dreams at night. and It's an amazing thing to be able to dream. And, and sometimes you'll have dreams of people that you haven't seen or thought about in years. I wonder if these boys dreamed about their brother. Dreamed about what they had done to him. If they had. Do you think quite possibly that rather than having a restful night of sleep, it left them in anguish? And then I think about having to see their daddy on a daily basis or see him periodically. Wonder if every time they looked into the eyes of their daddy, they thought about that brother that they had sold into slavery. I mean, these guys... They had been very devious. They knew what they did. Listen, if you would, again to what it, what it said. We saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us. Have you ever had somebody say or do something and that, that voice or that circumstance continues to...
to linger in your mind. You can't get it out of your mind. I think about these young fellas, young men, and over and over again, that recording is going off. Joseph is pleading with them, pleading for his life, pleading for them to come to their senses, pleading with them to let him go back home with them. And you know what they did? They turned a deaf ear to it all. So every time they saw their daddy, they were reminded, quite possibly, of what they had done. They were guilty. There's no doubt about it. And they were, they were carrying around that baggage. That's what guilt does. It's baggage. And you have to carry it around from place to place. You look at these men. Again, 20 long years, they're carrying these bags around from place to place. And then I think about the burden of guilt. You see, we talk about the baggage of guilt, but then what about the burden of guilt? Listen again to what is said. First, I think about in relationship to the burden of guilt. The fact that it will weigh you down. Again, they said, we're truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, do, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. They are carrying around this terrible weight. And guilt is like a weight. It will break your spirit. It will break your heart. It will break your life. Now, in what they said, my understanding in reading this passage is what they had done in the past had now caught up to them. I mean, really, that's what they're saying. So we think about the weight of sin, but the worry of sin. And here's the problem. Think about this. Sometimes you do things you know you shouldn't do. Now, sometimes we know there are things we ought to do and we don't do them. But when we do things we know we shouldn't do and we're guilty and we do not take the appropriate steps to try to rid ourselves of that guilt, in the back of our mind, we're always thinking, when's payday coming? When am I going to suffer the consequences of what I have done? You see, in the back of these guys' minds, maybe they thought they had gotten away with it. I mean, 20 years have elapsed. On the other hand, you hear them say, his blood is now required of us. Look over, if you would, very quickly. In chapter 44, again, 
another meeting transpires between Joseph and his brothers, and I'm not going to take the time to go into all the details. But Judah makes this statement in verse 16. God has found out the iniquity of your servants. God knew what they had done all along. The bottom line is what they had done in their minds had now come back on them. And so they are in agony over their guilt. So, the third thing I want you to think about for a minute or two. What is the antidote for guilt? Let's just say that you're here today and you are eaten up by guilt. How do you deal with it? How do we deal with guilt? Well, first and foremost, I would make this suggestion. In order for us to remedy the problem of guilt, we have to go to the right source. The remedy for guilt, of course, is Jesus. We have to look to the Savior for forgiveness, for pardon. In other words, we have to receive forgiveness from the Savior. Now sometimes it's necessary for us to make things right with our fellow man to be right with Almighty God. And you can read Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 18. I want you to turn with me very quickly over to chapter 50. After Joseph had been reunited with his family, chapter 50 talks about the fact that their father has now died. And since he has died, guess what? The brothers are now scared to death. Why do you think that is? Because they thought, all right, our daddy's dead. Now Joseph is going to make things really, really tough on us. In other words, he's going to exact vengeance on us. And so in verse 15, the Bible says that when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, please, Joseph, or rather perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we have done to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And the Bible says that Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers fell down before his face and said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. God had a purpose in this whole narrative. But I want you to think with me for just a minute about the problem of guilt and the deadly nature of guilt. And the fact that if you are suffering from guilt today because of something you have done or maybe not done that you knew you should have done, there's a remedy. There's an antidote. That antidote is the blood of Jesus. He's the answer. You need forgiveness from the Savior. There's some things I want you to think about very quickly with me. Did you know that Jesus has the ability to remove from your life the stain of sin. 
Sin stains the soul, doesn't it? And yet the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus can wash away those stains. I think about when I was a little fella and I liked to play outside. I remember one time playing outside and it was wet and muddy and I got really, really dirty. My clothes got really, really dirty. And I guess one of the things that struck my folks when I came back home was the fact, how are, how are we going to get these clothes clean? You've all heard the commercials for Tide and other detergents. They say they can cleanse any stain. Let me tell you what, the only thing that can cleanse the stain of sin is the blood of Jesus. Do you remember when Saul of Tarsus was told by Ananias to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins? To think that all of those sins could be washed away, that they could be removed. The Bible says that the covenant under which you and I now live is a great covenant. The Hebrew writer said, I will be merciful to your unrighteousness. He said, your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more. God and only God has the ability to remove the stain of sin in your life. There's a second thing. God can also remove the shame of sin in your life. Are there things that we do sometimes or are there things in our lives that we say or in our life that we say that we're ashamed of? Well, the answer would be yes. Many of us have been there. Listen, if you would, to what Paul said in Romans chapter 6. He asked the question, what fruit had you in those things whereof you are now ashamed? He said, the end of those things is death, but now you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. When Paul wrote to those people in Rome, those that had obeyed the gospel, he said, look, there were some things that you did in your past that now today, because of your understanding of who God is and who Jesus is, you're ashamed of those things. Let me tell you what, I don't care what you've done, I don't care where you've been, I don't care what your past has been. God has the ability to handle the shame associated with your sin. And look, sin is sin. I don't care what the sin is, sin is sin. Sometimes we grade sin and we classify sin. The bottom line is sin, any sin, all sin is wrong. Bottom line is, sin will separate you from an eternal God in heaven. And the only remedy for sin is Jesus and his blood. There's a third thing you need to see. And that is, God will remove the stigma of your sin. I want you to think about how sometimes certain individuals are identified by their past. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Do you remember Matthew in Matthew chapter 9 when Matthew had Jesus in his home? The religious leaders of that day, they chided the Lord's disciples. They wanted to know, why does your teacher, why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? Here is Matthew, he's a tax collector. And do you know what people thought about him? They thought this guy is a sinner. Jesus said, look, you need to understand I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'll give you another example. What about that woman that Jesus met at Jacob's well? You remember her? The Bible says that the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, based on John chapter 4, verse 9. 
So here's Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman. So during the course of their conversation, Jesus said, look, go call your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you've well said you don't have a husband. He said, you've been married five times. The man that you now have, he's not your husband. And yet, this woman came to understand that she was standing in the presence of the Messiah. Jesus identified himself as the Messiah, and she made a tremendous impact on her own people. Why? Because Jesus made a difference in her life. Let me give you another example. John chapter 8. You remember the woman that was taken in adultery in the very act, as John says? What was the perception of her in that day? She's an adulteress. Look, here's the bottom line. We talk about so-and-so is this or that. Think about, think about Saul of Tarsus. He was identified, he identified himself as a blasphemer, a persecutor, as an insolent man. He put Christians to death. He said when they were, when they were put to death, he said, I cast my vote against them. Now you just think about that for a minute. Here were people whose lives were marred by sin. And just because they had been sinners did not mean that Jesus could not remove the stigma of sin. Yes, Saul of Tarsus was a persecutor. Yes, he put down Christians. Yes, he bound Christians. But God saved him. And that same guy that had been a terrible persecutor became a preacher of the gospel. That Samaritan woman that had been living in sin, Jesus made a difference in her life. Here's what Paul said to the church at Corinth. And look, when you read about those Corinthian people, you find that there were a lot of folks in Corinth whose lives were steeped in sin. Here's what Paul said to those people. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. If you're in Christ, how does God look at you? Not as, he doesn't look at you in the past. He looks at you in the present. And what Paul said is, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, old things are passed away. Why? Because God has forgiven those sins. And the Bible says that God will remember them no more. What's in the past, it is in the past. So that guilt, we talk about the stain, the shame, the stigma of sin, all that's in the past. I don't care where you are. If you're in sin and you obey the gospel, here's what you are today. You are a saint. You heard me right. You are a saint. How do I know that? Because Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, wrote to those people that were a part of the church of God. He said, you've been sanctified in Christ Jesus and you have been called to be a saint. You've been forgiven. So, first of all, we have to be forgiven by the Savior. And then here's the second thing, and this may be the hardest. We have to learn to forgive ourselves. You've got to learn to forgive yourself. I want to ask you this question. If God has forgiven you, in other words, if you have obeyed the gospel, you believe Jesus died, on Calvary's cross, you believe that he is the son of the living God, you have repented of your sins, You've confessed his name before others. You've been immersed in a watery grave of baptism. Let's just say you've done that. Are you forgiven? The answer is a, is a resounding yes. And you're trying to live faithfully. Are you forgiven? Yes. So here's my question. Why can't you forgive yourself? Why do you live in guilt? Why, why are you beating yourself up with guilt? If God has forgiven you, if you have done what the Bible says to do, 
to enjoy salvation in Christ, why are you living in guilt? Go back with me to Corinth very quickly. Paul said, look, some of you were fornicators, some were adulterers, some were idolaters, some were homosexuals, some were thieves, some were covetous, some were drunkards, some were revilers, some were extortioners. But he said, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Had they lived in sin? Yes. Were they guilty? Yes. But now they're forgiven. So here's the question. If God has forgiven you, why can't you forgive yourself? If you want to overcome the deadly nature of guilt, first, you need to be forgiven by God. Secondly, you need to learn to forgive yourself. Easier said than done, granted, but you've got to let go of the past. You've got to remember, look, I'm not that old person. I'm not that person that you remember from the past. I am a changed, redeemed child of the living God. I have been saved by the blood of Christ. I am in the church of Christ, and I have the hope of heaven. I am a new creation in Christ. And I don't have to bear the guilt of what I've done in the past anymore. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.